This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. I got invited to the Trump rally today. There was at least 50,000 people. I'm not exaggerating. The attitudes are great. Everybody was like in cheerful mood. I'm sitting there going, come on, Trump, let's go. And I'm like, okay, they're setting up the stage and microphone and putting up the teleprompter. And they're getting all you can see because I'm right there in front and I'm watching. So you can see it's coming down to the wire. And he finally comes out, came on around 730. And I got to tell you, it's just something to be there in person. Trousers and motorcycle boots And a black leather jacket with his name on the back He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Ride Radio His name is New York Mike And welcome to the show This is Roll Right Radio I'm New York Mike Hi, this is New York Mike Roll Right Radio And it's a special edition Because I'm rolling right back From the Trump rally in Florence, Arizona And it is 2 o'clock in the morning That's right after the Trump rally, I went to the hotel that my friend Chris got me. It turned out to be the Bates Hotel. <laughs> I couldn't stay. I had to go. I'm on the road, headed back to San Diego, and it is about 2 o'clock in the morning. Enjoy this edition of Roll Right Radio, the real Trump rally. Yeah, baby. I got invited to the Trump rally today, okay? And we talked about this on the last podcast because my friend Chris Cox, the founder of Bikers for Trump, and believe me, man, this guy's been at it now for what, five years? As soon as Trump geared up, Chris Cox, who's a biker, what he does is he's from South Carolina, someplace near Charleston somewhere, and he does wood carvings, beautiful, amazing wood carvings. He's an artist, you know, and a biker and pretty politically savvy guy. You know, he's upset like we are. We're all upset over everything that was going on in the last, what, 15 years? You know, I like George Bush a lot. Looking back, there was some issues. Obama was like, oh, my God, it was horrible. And then here comes Donald Trump. It was like, wow, how'd this happen? Where'd he come from? Boom, the boom, and here, here comes Bikers for Trump. I thought it was great. And that's when I met Chris, and we became fast friends. And as friends, you know, off and on, we did have our disagreements. There were things that we just disagreed about. Bikers, we were free thinkers, and whatever. But... Chris has always been true to his calling of Bikers for Trump. He's focused on it. He doesn't vary. He doesn't, doesn't become politically Republican, Democrat. He's focused on Donald Trump. And over the years, it's become pretty cool. On top of that, he's also he always been through rolling thunder, rolling to remember. He supports most of the things. And America, he's, you know, he's clearly... A patriotic guy, and that means a lot to me, obviously. And so we're friends. He travels around the country promoting Donald Trump and called me up 
And he said, hey, the rally's in Arizona. I thought of you. I got a VIP pass. Why don't you come over and blah, 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 blah. So I did. And I said, I'm going to talk about this rally when I get back to San Diego or something. Okay. That was what I intended. And then Chris said, hey, I got your room. I wasn't sure. I, I knew I wasn't going to get there Friday night for a Saturday. I think it's Saturday afternoon. And so I figured I'd leave early in the morning and get there in plenty of time. I drive out, and it's a breeze. And I get a call from Chris, and he says, Mike, you want to get there by 2. And by the way, other friends of mine who were coming in, my friend Jeff, who's very friendly with Corey Gibson, who's the Republican candidate for Congress from Washington State. And part of the group of young guys running for Congress who we're raising money for, from our super PAC. So he was flying in to meet with Jeff, and they were going to drive from somewhere up near Palm Springs. We're on the phone, up coordinating, and they said he would have had to pick somebody up or whatever. They weren't getting there until like 3, 3.30. My buddy Chris called me and said, I need to be there by 2. So... I'm going to boogie and go straight there, and we'll see when we get there. Well, I boogie all the way to within, maybe it was five miles, and it's before 2 o'clock, so I figured I'm good. Everything was great, and boom, just, that's it, comes to a halt. And 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you can't get near this place, and this place is out in the middle of no place, if you're not familiar with the area. I, I take the aids about 300-something miles towards Tucson, and then you get down to 10 and go towards Phoenix, and then within a half an hour of Phoenix, boom, you go off the road to some 127, this other road, then you go left out in the woods, the middle of No Place Boulevard. Be careful, you're going to fall off the edge of the earth road, and then you get to this field in the middle of a place called Florence, Arizona, don't know anything about it. I'm thinking, wow, what they must have found a stadium in the middle of like no place Arizona? Totally desert. The you know, like kind of cool little it used to be one horse, one one gas station towns, but they're cool, you know. It's whoa, look at this place, man. And there's nothing else there. And then all of a sudden you get off and we've been online now for half hour, forty five minutes to go about another mile and a half, two miles, maybe three miles. And then you get to something and guys are waving you through. And, uh-oh, you're off the pavement. You're on to the dirt roads. And I said, hey, where's the ADI, whatever parking lot? And he says, oh, you go straight down yonder, that road over there. I'm driving another mile. And this parking lot, it's all parked cars. It's packed. It's totally packed with cars. It was just this big Jared, parking lot, huge, like four or five football fields. It was just massive and all filled. And I drive right past them all because Chris Cox told me to go to this parking lot. So I get all the way up front. I get to the parking lot. Meanwhile, I call my friend Jeff, see how he's doing. Oh, we just picked up wearing fan. We're coming. I said, well, guys, get ready to stand online because... 
The backup is just, it's deep, baby. You're backed up for miles. I said, just be ready for it. You know, okay. So I get in and just amazingly, just so random, I pull up to the front and there's Chris. He's with a gal and you got all bikers for trumped out, you know, in his vest and all that. That's kind of cool. I go, Chris. He goes, yeah, Mike, I'm glad you're And then he points down. He goes, well, you got to go down there and get through that. And he gives me a wristband for an accelerated, like, entry pass or something like that. And he says, yeah, just park your car back, find the spot in the road. I said, I'm in the back right here, right to the fence. I backed my car up. I didn't take the bike. Luckily, I didn't either. It was miserable, cold, and rainy. Anyway, we walk down, and I'm just looking at the sea of humanity. These lines, lines, and lines to get through the magnetometers to go into where the rally is. Maybe it's 2.30 by now. The rally starts around 5. Trump comes on around 7. It's like, oh, my God. Somehow, some way, we get all the way up front, in front of all the line, climb over the fencing. It wasn't, you know, wired fence. It was bars, metal fencing. And when we get up to the front, they know Chris from all these events. goes to all these things. And they recognize him. And now I'm, it's the three of us. They just wave us right over, get to the magnetometers. And I, I was smart enough to leave my knife and cigar cutter in the car. Yay! <laughs> the last time I went to magnetometers was at Ellipse Park in Washington, D.C., January 6th of a year ago. And uh, yeah, they took it away. Forgot, I didn't even realize it's in my pocket, you know, so you don't think about it. I lost it. Lost a little, you know, knife and the cigar cutter. Ridiculous. Anyway, so this time I left it with the car. Boom, go through. And we get to the seats right up front and in front of the podium. So now there's seats on the sides and behind the podium. And by the way, when you see that whole deck of cameras, all the media people up there on the cameras and everything else, they're focused one way on the podium. So they never see who's in front of the podium, who's on the side. Trump's always complaining about it because you never get to see the breadth of how many people are here. You know, how many attendees, how many people are standing online, how many people are waiting. It's amazing. And then you hear the reports, and they can say anything they want. And they're always understating it. Like, yeah, a few thousand, maybe eight, ten thousand. I'm telling you, there was at least 50,000 people. I'm not exaggerating. And the cameras, you know, they could turn them around. They could pan the crowd. I don't know why they don't. You would think there'd be one or two who aren't totally left wing. But it is what it is. And that's what we see and what you don't see. But I'm telling you, it was huge. So we just get the seats right down up front. And every time they come to check your wristband, they do this, they do that. Chris is able to deflect them. And then, lo and behold, one of the gals who didn't seem that old, like maybe 40s. I don't know. And I don't know these people. But when I was... State Director of Obey the California. I used to go all over the country speaking, and every year I was invited to be 
the keynote or one of the keynote speakers at the Arizona Freedom Rally. It was a big biker rally at the Capitol. And I'm wearing my vest and I go up to talk to her because she was one of the people in charge. When we came in, she was the one looking at our wristbands. And I said, listen, I, I want to go out, but I want to come back. Am I going to be able to get back in? And yeah, just go through the thing. She looks at my name tag. She goes, New York Mike. I said, yeah. She says, she used to see me at the Freedom Rallies. And, you know, it's loud. There's you know, too much noise to have a conversation conversation. But it was kind of cool. She was like, yeah, she remembered. And that's 15, 16 years ago. That was the last time I ever did that. I was like, wow. So I, I said, okay, I'll come back in. Oh, yeah, just ask, just find me. I'll get you. I started to walk out. I said to Chris, hey, you want something? He says, yeah, whatever you're going to have, get me. I said, okay. I start to walk. And I looked at that crowd. And I said, oh, my God. I don't want to get in the middle of that. Carrying water bottles and food through this crowd. <laughs> nope, ain't going to happen. I'm not going to do it. I'll figure out something else. Well, yeah, I should have thought twice about that. Anyway. Get back in, we go back to our seats. And it was a pretty fun crowd. The people are Trumpers all the way. And Arizona, man, this is Trump country. When they say it's a red state, you know, they're trying to tell you just because they've got two senators who are Democrats. The people in Arizona, if this is indicative, and like I said, I haven't gone to Arizona a lot to speak at the Freedom Rally. It's, and do all that. I, I know that the heart of this state is definitely red. Red, white, blue to the core. And they're tired of getting beat up. They're tired of being this border state that has to deal with these people coming across the border, bringing their drugs, their fentanyl, all the rest of it. They're really right there. And not that it doesn't affect California and Texas and the rest of the country, but Arizona's trying to fight the fight. And I guess the governor that they've had is Ducey. Just hasn't really doubled down the way this Carrie Lake. There's about eight people running for governor. I don't know how many Dems and how many Republicans. I'm not that familiar with the Arizona situation. But obviously, Trump has endorsed Carrie Lake. She was a news anchor for 25, 30 years in Arizona as no political experience, but, you know, obviously a lot of passion for conservative politics. And so she was probably, I, I, don't, I don't know, again, I'm not that familiar with the ongoing politics in Arizona, except that I have talked to Kelly Ward and her husband, Mike Ward, Colonel Mike Ward, and I haven't met her in person. I've been on the phone with her, and I know of her. She ran against John McCain. She's head of the Republican Party. We've spoken because of the super PAC I'm involved with, my friend Rich. And when they finally get to a point where the speakers come up, she was early on being the head of the Republican Party and opened it up. I was very impressed. That was pretty cool. And there were like two or three speakers after her, some other guy, state senator who was a retired 20-something years in the Marine Corps. He was very impressive. Then there's another speaker, another speaker. And after about four or five speakers, and I'm going, wow, this is pretty cool. They bring a lot to the table. This Paul Gosar, 
I guess he was the congressman from Arizona that the Democrats got all over and had him thrown off committees or something like that. Even he was pretty cool, a little quirky too. There was a few other little more local people that I thought were a little bit out there. I kind of thought of, maybe I wandered into a church service there for a minute. And then that calmed down and then the, the would-be governor, she did a pretty impressive job, Kerry Lake. She sounded like a TV news anchor. Pretty polished, not as political as some of the others, which was kind of refreshing, but definitely aggressive. So all these people are speaking, and I didn't realize it, but when you went outside of where the Mac Thomas, the crowd was back, going back, maybe a football field, maybe two, maybe it was more than even two, that deep, way back, SRO, standing room only, woo, what a crowd. And everybody's there is like hungry because what's going on is obviously it's pretty bad. I mean, we all know. I had a conversation driving down earlier today with my nephew who turned 19 today. And it was extremely disturbing to talk to a bright kid. He's in college. Kids really got it all together. He's a hell of an athlete, terrific hockey player. You know, he just does a lot. Plays the piano, he's a really cool kid. And I call him happy birthday. My nephew lives in Brooklyn. And mentioned I'm going to the Trump rally. And we start talking, he goes, oh, look at Mike. That's what I'm taking to college, is government this and that. That's Okay, now I know the my brother and his wife, they're a little bit liberal. <laughs> Maybe that's an understatement. They're a lot of bit liberal. And I know that they bring their kids up the same way. But look, I don't get involved. They know where they reach me. Roll right radio. If they, you know, want to hear my thoughts. When I visit them, I'm not shy about how I feel about things. I try to go lightly. I don't want to offend anybody. But I'm certainly not shy when things come up. So he brings that up and I go, man, he goes, well, Uncle Mike, I don't like Joe Biden any more than you do. Maybe for different reasons. And, you know, well, blah, blah, blah. I just think that the government should have more control over people. There should be more rules. There should be more regulations. I said, what are you saying? I said, what are you kidding me? He says, yeah, well, you know, Uncle Mike, it's not communism. I said, no, you, listen, it's not communism. You're right. Okay, I'm going to give you that. You're right. It's fascist. You're talking about government control of our life. No, well, why should... And he starts going to this thing where Jeff Bezos, he says, well, if they took money away from Jeff Bezos, if they took a few billion dollars, I said, why would you want to do that? What did he do to you? Did he take money from you? Why are you taking money from him? Why are you telling the government to take money from him? What's wrong with you? So now, here I am at the Trump rally, and I'm telling you, it's so refreshing because I came up and I'm going, oh my God, this is indicative. This is what a 19-year-old bright kid, and I don't want to get any deeper into it because what am I going to do? Am I going to go change his mind, change his life? He, you know, I will if I could, but I'm not going to make him a special project. I'm going to be on my podcast. I'm going to be everywhere 
I'm invited to, to speak, you know, to whatever crowds and wherever I could go. And if he wants to have a discussion about it, but you know, I'm not going to say, oh, the kid's an idiot, the kid's stupid. That's a lot of people do that. You can't do that. You got to understand, this is the mindset of a generation. Maybe two or three. This is the way it is. This is where they're going. I'm going to be gone. And I'm going to do everything I can to make America the country that I believe in. We are free with a government that has the least control necessary to do the evil that government has to do. It's a necessary evil. But you got to find that sweet spot where, okay, they got enough. They can do everything they need to do right there. That's another, another drop of power to that government. No, no. So here I am at a Trump rally. You know how good it felt? I There was some stupid stuff going on. These people are over the top. Trump people. Wow. You know, they're wearing the uniform. They were, it's like. I'm a Yankee fan. I'm not walking around with Mickey Mantle's number on my back. Mickey Mantle got paid a lot of money to wear that number seven. I just, it's just not me. I'm not knocking people to do it, but it's not me. We go to a ball game and everybody's wearing all these uniforms and their numbers and their thing and the boom and the boom. It's great. It's great to be in that environment. Not for me. It just, it's do it for me. I'm sorry. I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler fan because of the Rooney. Not the ones now, the original Rooney family, which I really thought were great people. They weren't great. So here I am around all these people wearing all this, you know, the Trump, all the stuff, everything. It's kind of like, whoa, really over the top. But they're having fun. It's great. The one guy in front of me is dressed like Uncle Sam with a top hat and... Everything is, is trumped out. Everybody's trumped out. And I'm going, I, I should really enjoy this while I'm around it. I, I, I kind of did. But then, as this, the speakers go on, and there's a few more. Then Mike Lindell spoke. I, Mike Lindell, my pillow guy, he, he actually did a good job. Now, Mike Lindell's thing is, many of the other people's things, well, is that 2020 was stolen, and Arizona is doing a big accounting of that. And if you hear the left wing, and not just the left with anything Democrat, like all the media, <laughs> virtually all the media, even Fox to a degree, they kind of like turn their nose up at the idea that states may be doing an accounting, whatever, and trying to uncover some of the shenanigans that went on and what was illegal and what was... All that, you know, whatever. And these, a lot of these people who were involved in this, and I, I, look, you don't have to convince me. I believe the election was stolen, but I'm not one of these people who are going to go digging around and rooting through all the paperwork. I'm not going to join their ranks, but there's a lot of people that do, and they're spending a lot of time at it. And these are people who are busy, successful people who have lives and jobs. Some of them are political, you know, appointees or elected official, but you know, some of them are just people who care. And there's a lot of them. And so Arizona has been doing this auditing of the election and there's an awful lot 
of believer very big time that they will uncover everything. I'm great about that. It did take on kind of sort of a life of its own at the rally because there's just a lot of believers there. And, and I, I can't say I'm not one of them. I am. Okay, we have an election coming up. Let's win that election. And the way to win it is double down. Double down. You want to overcome lefts? They're going to make every effort to steal, rig, cheat, whatever, and win this election by hook or by crook. And so to overcome that, just make sure we get everybody that we can. Everybody and their mother and their brother and their sisters and cousins and everybody. Get out there and vote. That's what you got to do. But they feel like it's really important. And I kind of agree. I'm glad that there are people in the Republican Party who care. And by the way, I think there are some people who aren't so, you know, so much of an R. They just really care. They'll vote Republican, but they're not going out there banging on doors, walking trees. But they don't care. And here they are at this Trump rally. So it made me feel pretty good. And then it got to be 6-16. I looked, don't ask me why, I looked down, and that was when the last speaker ended. And then all the big news. And I'm going, okay, because they had the big screens and the music is going on and all that. And so five minutes, 10 minutes, 15. And then, oh, Trump's helicopter. Everybody starts pointing up and cheering. And they're going, okay, here he is. He gets in, whatever he's got to do, and he comes out. Man, I'm sitting there. And by this time, I got there at what? Before 3 o'clock. Now it's 6, 16. Three hours. No bathrooms, no water. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm starting to get a little irritable. Well... That went on. I was just sitting there going, come on already. <laughs> I say that. I thought that. Everybody was entertaining each other. They were having a good time. So, you know, the attitudes were great. Everybody was like in cheerful mood. I'm sitting there going, come on, Trump, let's go. <laughs> and I came on around 7.30. And I'm like, okay, they're setting up the stage and the microphone and putting up the teleprompter, and they're getting it all you can see, because I'm right there in front, and I'm watching. So you can see it's coming down to the wire. And he finally comes out. And I got to tell you, this guy in person, and I've been in person with him at the White House. Remember, we rode on the South Lawn. Me, Robert Patrick, and about 10 or 12 AMVET guys, Jan Brown, Joe Chenley, the Invet guys that are doing Rolling to Remember, and we were there at the White House. It was pretty cool. So it's not like I haven't been in the guy's presence in that way, but the rally, he comes out, and it, it's really something. Being there in person, it's something. No, you know what? It's I don't know if I would ever do it again, and I, I really do appreciate Chris Cox. It was great. And then I guess if he called me and invited me again, I'd probably do it again. But 
the crowds and the this, and it wasn't even that bad. Got VIP thing, you know, sitting up front, blah, blah, blah. It's all, it was pretty good. So I got nothing to really complain about. But it's just not my thing. And then he comes out and it's, wow. I've listened this afternoon, you know, I'm sitting there from three o'clock. Well, the speeches started around five o'clock, one after the other. And they were all pretty good to one degree or another. You know, how long they last. Five minutes, six minutes, eight minutes. They said even a couple of the speakers, well, they limit us to three minutes, you know, and they all go over by a minute or so. Fine. As good as they are, after a few minutes, you're waiting for the end, and when they finish, you go, well, that was pretty cool. He kept it down like four or five minutes. Here comes Trump. Here comes Trump. I'm telling you, it's an hour and a half, and you, you don't want him to stop. Where did this come from? What did he do different than all these other people, including Harry Lake, who's a professional TV anchor? And she did a good job. But, you know, you can give her seven or eight minutes, and then, okay, all right, that's enough, okay. Oh, good job. It's like Petrina's always looking at me, giving me that, okay, enough, honey, enough. <laughs> and she's right. You want to nail it? Down and dirty, quick, you make your point, you say what you're going to say, and you get off the stage. Trump gets out there, and it's like, he's, I, I mean, is that charismatic? He's the definition of charismatic. I can't put my finger on what makes it so amazingly magic. It's magic. I'm not here saying that I'm hanging on every word. Oh, my God. I'm just like, no. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you what it's like to be there in person and to be at a Donald Trump rally, and there comes Donald Trump, and you're sitting there, and everybody else, professional and all good, nobody's disagreeable. Well, not really. But, you know, after so much time, everyone, but Trump, no. All of a sudden, it's like, with the last half hour ago, he's still there. And you, you want, wait, is he going to get to talking about January 6th? Is he going to get to talking about, hey, what's going to happen next year? Is he, you're anxious for it. Goes on and on and on. Say he rambles on and on. I've been up close and personal with Donald Trump on the South Lawn when him and Melania are walking to the helicopter and we're right there. And, I, you know, we did this on Instagram. It was me and Robert and Trina and we're right there. It's the same thing. He's talking to the reporter. Here he is at the Trump rally doing the same thing, but better. Better because he's talking to us. You don't have a helicopter making noise in the background and you're straining to hear the words. The microphone is there and he's talking to everybody. We're right there. And it's even that much better because the South Lawn thing was pretty good. But, you know, you're straining right here. You know what he said. You know what Trump stands for? He brings it right to the surface. He talks about it in a personal manner. And he talks about the fact that the election was stolen. He makes no bones about it. He appreciates everything going on. The audit in Arizona, the audit in Georgia. He talks about how ridiculous it is that all these people are listening to the Democrats. They're talking about science. when well, they're the people who, who are telling you there's 
multi-genders of there's girls and guys and guys and girls. And he talks about guys competing in girls' sports, men competing in women's sports. And it's wrong. Then he talks about January 6th, and he talks about Ashley Babbitt. And he actually says, what if it was reversed? Well, I've been saying that on my podcast for a year since January 6th. I haven't heard anybody else talk. He just lays it out there. He says what's on his mind. And it's fascinating because he is such a charismatic person. And it's just something to be there in person. You know, it's me. I'm like the world's biggest is skeptic, the right word. It's just it is what it is. And here I am. And I'm like, okay, I'm just like everybody else. I'm fascinated by Donald Trump. Definitely the greatest president of my lifetime and all that. This is different. It has a lot more gravitas that entertains. But at the same time, it is so fascinating. Here it is. This is the world stage right there in front of him. And here he is, the most powerful human being on the planet today. Yes, I know. You got she and you got Putin guy and you got... And, and, of course, he's not president anymore right now. But you're in the presence of something that's a phenomenon. So, with that, I might talk a little more in future podcasts about the context as I think about things. But let me tell you the circumstances that you and I are enjoying right now. So the whole thing ends about 8.30. I've been sitting there since 3 o'clock. And like I said, no water, no bathroom, no nothing. And as soon as it's over, I want to hang around and see Jeff and Corey Gibson and maybe say hello to Kelly Ward. But I got to run out and hit those poor body. And Chris Cox, I was yeah, me too, let's go. So we... Bolt out, not thinking. Like, my mind is like, okay, this is done. Okay, let's get out of here. We go up to the top. We go past all the cameras, the TVs, and all that stuff. And we go outside, and there is this crowd of people. Of course, we went out just while Trump is you know, winding up. Not one person is left. We're walking through the crowd. And by the way, as big as the crowd was, there's lanes of ingress and egress. Because that's the right way to do it. Not like what they did on January 6th at Ellipse Park. Certainly not at the Capitol. No medical, no nothing, no ingress, no egress. And here it is, 50,000 people. It wasn't nearly as big as Ellipse Park. But, you know, it's still pretty damn big. And they made sure that there were lanes. Okay, and the men and the women who were in charge did a really good job. They weren't authoritative, but wasn't upsetting. You know, they weren't making themselves like, hey, you know, but they did their job, you know, very well organized the whole event. Anyway, we were able to get out. Boom, I hit that head, man. <laughs> Thank God. Then I turned around. I go, oh, shit, I, I, I never got to see Jeff and Corey. And then 
there was no way you could go back. Now, all those people are facing me and coming out, and I go, whoa. And then Chris had a big sandwich for me, and uh, he got me a room in the hotel. He gives me the card. This is the name of the hotel. It's all paid for. And, and you know, it's 9 o'clock. I can't blow off. Chris got me a room. Gives me the card for the hotel so I can find it. He's got to stay there to pick up some of his stuff. He had, you know, bike truck flags, things like that, that he couldn't get until the whole thing's over there. So he's going to stay there and pick up his stuff. And I said, okay, I'll beat you back. I'll just drive through. And, and I called, Jeff, hey, sorry, buddy, I can't go back in. Da 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 da. Anyway, getting out of there, hey, you know, if you ever been to a ball game, it's packed, you know, packed. And now here's the light to get out. I don't know how long it's going to take, 45 minutes or an hour. I couldn't even tell you how long. There were some shortcuts because I went in a different direction. Most of the crowd went right to the freeway. I was going to this hotel, you know, downtown Florence. <laughs> I laughed because there is no downtown Florence. Not really. So I followed the GPS to this hotel, and it was a good 20 miles away. And I get there, the middle of this lonely town, and I go in. It's a nothing hotel, probably built in the early 50s. And one of the low-lying, I don't know how to describe it. I'm not good at that. But it was not a comfort in. It wasn't a Motel 6. Nope. And they did not leave the light on for you. No, they didn't. That's, yeah, they you got a few cars parked in the lot in front of their rooms. One level, just a little room. And then, you know, door's dark. I walk up to the door. He says, ring the bell. So I ring the bell. The lady comes out, opens the door. I go inside. She's behind the glass. And I go, hi, right, Chris Cox left the, you know, rowing. I'm looking for the rope cake. What a nasty broad, my God. Yeah, yeah, I know. Fill this out and give me your driver's license. I said, what? I fill out the phone. I said, here. She goes, your driver's license. I said, wait a minute, lady. It was, the room's all paid for. We, she just goes. So I take out the driver's license. Show it to us. Take it out of your wallet, sir. I'm like, are you kidding me? Come on. This isn't exactly the hill. I don't say that. I'm trying to be nice. And I said, ma'am, can't you see what you need? Here's the freaking driver's license. Now I'm thinking, oh, my God. I want to get out of here. But, you know, I don't want to insult my friend Chris. Got me the room. Give it the license. Then I said, oh, can I get the license back? And she goes off again. I didn't want to have a discussion. I gave you the license. You did it. I want it back. That's why I don't give my license to people. I don't want them to forget. Anyway, get through that whole thing. Go into this room from this 1950 Motel 3. <laughs> get in the room. Talk about sparse? A nothing room? Oh, my God. I'm going. And, of course, you know, Petrina called me. Where are you? Where are you? Honey? Like, oh, I'm in the room, babe. Oh, one hotel. I'm like, I don't even know the name. I really did. I don't want to tell Patricia. I don't know the name of the place. I said, wait a minute. Let me go outside. She goes, what do you mean? You don't know the name of the hotel? No name hotel. 
This is a country song. The No Name Hotel. Anyway, I go, I look at the name, and I don't even remember the name of the hotel. I go back, and she goes, make sure you watch your dance and leave a light on. And I go, yeah, she's right. So I do that. After an hour or so, and I'm, I'm asleep a little bit, get up at 3, 4 in the morning, and I'm going to get on the road after I get four or five hours of sleep, and da-da-da-da-da. Well, I couldn't sleep. And then I just said, oh, I'm, I'm going to call Jeff and Corey. And she, they drove right to Palm Springs. And so I called to see how they do with them, talking to them. And we're talking about the event and about, you know, this. And then we're just having a chat. Well, so now it's like 12 o'clock at night. There's a bang on my door. And somebody complaining about the noise. I said, I'm on the phone. They're complaining about the noise. And I open the door to see who the hell this is. Some freaky-looking Rumpelstiltskin kind of dude, man. I'm like, okay, fella, I'm I'm off the phone. Go. Just don't worry about it. Just go away. Guy looks at me and says, go away. I'm off the phone. <laughs> and Jeff, I'm on the other line. He goes, what the hell is that, Mike? I said, actually, I thought it was Chris Cox. And, it, and it's just some crazy dude, man. I said, I'm out of here. I said, you know what? I'm going to get out of here. And so I put the phone down. I brush my teeth. I pack my stuff. I get dressed. And I left. It was like 1230 at night. And you've been riding with me for the last almost an hour, right? Yep. 55 minutes. And I decided I was just going to talk about that. Because I thought, that's kind of interesting. I left this little town an hour from Phoenix, and I'm on the way back. It's 3.15 a.m. I think I'm about 75 miles from Yuma, and I expect that I'll be home by, I don't know, by 30, 6 in the morning, whatever. I couldn't stand so there you go. So that's today's podcast. Try to get it out early. Of course, here it is. Saturday night. The loneliest night of the week. But it's actually Sunday morning. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to shoot this over to the production people tomorrow morning. And when it gets out, it gets out. I hope you enjoy it. And I certainly did. Enjoy the Trump rally in ways I did not expect. Donald Trump is an amazing human being. He really is. He was a great president. I think if he runs, he's going to win, and he'll be an even greater president the second time around. That's my opinion. And again, like I keep saying, that we haven't got through 2022 and these elections yet, I'm not looking ahead that far to 2024, but it's going to be interesting. It's exciting. I'm New York Mike. Thanks for listening to Roll Right Radio. Don't forget to subscribe. Tell your friends. Roll Right Radio will be back. I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.